but it stands for the world is your oyster. It was never actually meant to be a brand. After my first investment in a company, they said, oh, what's your holding company? And rather have something boring like Cook Investments. I came up with the name Twio Capital. When my wife and I were traveling around the world for a year, we were like, we're going to meet some amazing people. Let's get up a quick website about our investments and our profile, just so that when we meet people around the world, we've got something to show it. Welcome to Startups and Unicorns with Belinda Agnew, your home to learn all things funding, scaling, talent, branding, and the billion-dollar dream. Finding out how to be a unicorn in a field of horses. Hear from industry founders and discover how to stand out to those who matter most to your business. With your host, tech startup fanatic, Belinda Agnew. Today, I'm excited to welcome to the podcast, Stuart Cook. Stu is a World Economic Forum Young Global Leader, co-CEO and founder of Flav, and an Australian Young CEO of the Year. After a chance meeting, Stu became the CEO of Zambrero at just 23, a restaurant franchise that sells healthy Mexican food and supports humanitarian projects in Africa, Asia, and the Americas. Today, we'll talk about the highs and the lows of Zambrero and the success that followed as a founding partner in Twio Capital, his role as a chairman on boards for First Stop and For Purpose Co., and his new focus, Flav, a plant-based restaurant he started with his wife, which is soon going to be a thousand stores over the next 10 years. I'm really excited to have you. We've been doing this four times now. We've like exited, we've come back in, we've rescheduled, COVID, things have happened. So I like to jump into the show and ask a simple question of if you were in a room full of people that you didn't know, uh, a dinner setting or a conference and somebody comes up to you and they ask you, what do you do? Okay. What do you reply? <laughs> so it definitely be, depends on the audience because I'm usually the person who likes to ask them that question first and then sort of pick out which part of my background or what I'm working on to be able to best suit and relate to them. But I think if someone was to just ask me that, I'd say that I'm an impact investor and entrepreneur who focuses on building the world, in building, making the world a better place through investing in making people's businesses come to life and you know turn, be the spark that ignites people's dreams is sort of a mantra that I like to live by. So is that like an angel investor in one word? Yeah. So I think that the angel investment side of things is definitely just more giving money and then maybe giving support. But then the entrepreneurial side is just being able to actually get in there and get your hands dirty and grow businesses that um, usually have somebody else's idea or and then be able to scale them to be able to take them not only around Australia, but around the world. And is there, there a specific industry that you're focusing on? Uh the three main uh, areas that um, my investments and the companies that I'm working on are sustainable food ecosystems. So anything around plant-based proteins or health foods, uh, health and wellness, whether or not they be gyms or bio tracking devices or um, biotech, and then also uh, environmental technologies as well. So anything that's around carbon capture or environmental technologies to be able to help reverse some of the damage that humans have done around the world um, and focusing on helping building them up. So can I ask you, when you talk about environmental, are you vegan? 
Uh, I'm 90%, 95%. So, yeah. I love it. I love it. We'll go into that in, in a little second about Flav. So that's really interesting because I feel like everybody has a different answer and it's so hard because you do so much. It's extremely difficult to explain what you do. Even for me, it's so difficult. So I'm so um, interested to know what people say. So at the age of 23, um, you met the founder of Zembrero. Yeah. Which, by the way, is extremely young, 23 years old. I wish I started at that age. So he made you the CEO of his two restaurants at that time. So tell me about the journey and I guess what you learnt of that. And I think you took it to like 1 million in sales. Uh, yeah, it took it to 100 restaurants. 1 million in sales to over seven, 75 million in six years. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. The stats. So tell me at 23. Yeah. So, I mean, what, how? Um, uh, so, <laughs> Did you have a mentor? Yeah, I had, I had many. And I think that, um, you know, Dr. Sam Prince, I was very fortunate to meet just randomly on a bus on the way to the Taj Mahal. And I thought it was kind of crazy that this medical doctor had two Mexican restaurants, um, you know, while still studying. And then I was just... Uh, but I was more interested at the time because the profits of those restaurants were actually building schools in Sri Lanka, um, where his family is originally from. And I'd done a lot of charity work over my time. And um, so I actually signed up to go and spend a month with him in Sri Lanka, building IT centers to be able to help a lot of communities be able to sort of connect with the the digital community and digital education. And so I did that and it was in the process of doing that that he said, hey, how about you come on board, be my CEO of two restaurants. Um, I'd never tried the food. Uh, he could have been selling socks for all I cared, but he inspired me to sort of think bigger of myself. Um, you know, I think at the time I was working as a business development management manager in a um HR consultancy company, I thought that my life's ambition was to be like the VP of sales within that organization. And so, he just showed me a world that I didn't know existed. And so, um, that was probably step one. And then step two was just, I didn't know how crazy hard it would be to do. Um, and if, if I probably knew, if I, if I knew everything that I know now, I probably wouldn't have made the jump. But I think sometimes being ignorant in a new sector is really invigorating and exciting because, you know, you're just, it's every day is a challenge. Like every day you wake up and go, what the hell is going to happen next? Like, but I'm excited because I'm just going to go and figure it out. And so I went around and, you know, collected as many people as I could around me who had done this before because, you know, we, will, we were building a new company, but we weren't doing anything that somebody hadn't done like 90% before. Like Subway had grown to tens of thousands of locations and KFC, McDonald's and It was already you know, in grilled. the market. And so, yeah, like we just went and I knocked on all of their doors and asked them for some advice and said, uh, hey, what would you give your 23-year-old self? Um, in terms of advice about starting up something like this. And yeah, I was very fortunate to have a lot of amazing conversations. So when you say like knock on their doors, how? You just called them? You called them. You approached them on LinkedIn? LinkedIn. Like, okay. Yeah. And and I think in Australia, like and people really focus on celebrities in terms of um, musicians in sporting stars or um or actors, like like a lot of people, they're very hard to to contact and reach because everybody wants to get them. But to me, my rock star was the ex CEO of McDonald's or the ex CEO of KFC. Like, 
And so for them, like not many people hold them or put posters on the wall. Not that I did do that, but yeah, um, yeah. like th- so they don't get many people approaching them and say, hey, I look up to you and respect so much of what you've done. And you definitely got to leverage a bit of the youth on your side and say, hey, I'd just love to buy you a coffee. And I made sure that every time that I went there, I'd read every interview that they'd done or I'd um, read as much about the company and understood it so I could actually ask insightful questions about their career or about something that related directly to the business that I was in. And so I didn't waste their time. And I think that was important and they saw that. So I got to build up great relationships with some of these amazing entrepreneurs and they really short-tracked our my learning because, you know, our goal was to open up a hundred restaurants in five years. We took six and a half, yeah. um, but that was still a really exciting goal. But I attribute a lot of that success is, is due to having some of those conversations with them and sort of not only telling me the answer to the question that I asked, but also not answering the question that I didn't even know to ask. Yeah. That's so interesting. So like you, you would say they were kind of your mentors because you you built this strong relationship to be able to have contact and access to ask questions along the way, along the journey. Um, That's super smart. I mean, to even figure that out at 23, that's extremely smart. Well, I was kind of petrified because I didn't know what I was doing. And so I looked around and I, you know, I think I am a little bit fortunate that I grew up in a country town. And so you, it was fine to talk to strangers, but when you so moved to the I, city, yeah, yeah. when you moved to the city, is like people freak out a little bit Where more. Where did you grow up? Uh, outside of Coffs Harbour. Oh, so, okay, nice. Yeah. I grew, grew up in Cobram. Okay. Baruga, Murray River. Okay. Like near Shepparton. Okay, yeah. Kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's so interesting. So like the, the journey at 23, so you grew from like 1 million in sales to 75 million over six years. Um, I'm sure that must have been such a journey for you, especially at such a young age. Can you tell me about the high highs and the low lows? Uh, I mean, the high highs is just, I think the high highs is is just every time that somebody, you know, the first high was, you know, the first time somebody said yes to signing a franchise agreement. Um, you know, because we grew through franchising and that was, you know, that's a, a way to grow your business without having to raise capital because you're actually using the franchisee's capital to be able to grow, yes, the, correct, yeah. grow the business. And so, you know, for some of those families or people who entrusted their life savings with us and our model, like it was truly humbling to be, um, you know, focused on that and to be able to them sort of be able to invest in our concept. And so mm-hmm. I think that was a big high every time that that happened. But then when it started happening more and more regularly, it was more like, how do we do the big deals? How do we sell a state or we sold a, um, you know, a country? And so I think those were all really big, exciting things. Um, one of the other ones that was a huge high was um, every time the introduction of a plate for plate concept. So every time we fed somebody in our restaurants and still happens today, we feed a child overseas. So I think today we're about 60 million meals um, sold, but, um, and fed. Um, and so actually going over to Vietnam and seeing the in-school feeding programs that were reliant on Zambro's donations and everything like that was truly special to know that not only feeding people Mexican burritos in Australia um, was a great business, but also something that could make a big impact in the world. That's incredible. And, you know, being at that age on that journey, even though you had your high highs, and I'm sure you've had extremely low lows throughout that, because it's it's like an emotional journey as well. You know, oh, learning all yeah. these I mean, crazy things. Low, and putting low yourself- lows is like we we 
we didn't realize that we were 100 grand in debt with um, the ATO because our bookkeeper hadn't been actually paying the money and but had been submitting the BAS statement. So the ATO, know, ATO know, knew exactly how much money we owed. Yeah, yeah. And I remember getting the call. I was in Adelaide on Hindley Street and I um, I know exactly where I was when I got that phone call because like embedded in my memory um, because it was like the ATO going, hey, do you know you owe $108,000 and blah, 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 this amount of cents and and like can we have a chat about this? And I thought the whole company was going under. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, so that was one of the lows. I think the, you know, it wasn't lows but some of the chaos that occurs when you're dealing with supply chain um, as well because remember that, you know, when you've got 100 restaurants, you're actually having an impact on um, the supply chain of a country. Like mm-hmm. when we launched our black rice campaign, um, we actually oh, knocked, out, we knocked out all of Australia's supply chain of black rice and amaranth seeds. Oh, like no you way. couldn't buy it anywhere. And so we we're literally running around health food stores, ripping it off shelves and then turn it, putting it into bags to be able to sell, give it back to our restaurants That's to be insane. able to appease customers. So it's just things like that, um, you know, that were the highs, but but the lows were just amazing experiences. Yeah, it would have been like a, a learning curve for sure. Yeah. And I, I guess what I'm saying about lows, it's not just about business, about you as a person, you know, yeah. your personal, you know, life. Um, you're married now, uh, but, you know, trying to, I guess, juggle your personal life and everything that was going on in your work life. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Because that's like the number one thing entrepreneurs struggle with. Yeah. Yeah. Extremely. No, that, that is. And, and I, I think that's a fair call. Like I'd say that some of my lows, like thankfully I've not been incredibly sick before, but, you know, my health definitely did suffer. My relationships with friends or family definitely suffered throughout some of the journey. I was fortunate enough that to meet my amazing wife, Samantha. Um, she was also a startup CEO at the same time and of a charity. Um, and so she was looking after remote Indigenous communities with neglected diseases. So <laughs> you can't really talk about too many hardsho- hardships when I'm going around the country or even internationally opening up restaurants, as hard as that is, when, but when she's going and looking after yeah. you know, neglected communities with neglected diseases and you know, sleeping in a tent and, and working with doctors and nurses and things. And so, um, yeah, I, I it's all comparable. And I think that that's also what sort of kept me straight as well is, is that, you know, I met Dr. Prince when I was on a bus on the way to the Taj Mahal. We then did charity work in Sri Lanka and, you know, seeing how little those kids had over there at the end of a civil war and like their opportunities were nothing compared to what we have. So I think it's sometimes just reminding yourself and being able to almost trick yourself to be able to remember some of those things, to be mm-hmm. able to go put things in perspective, just takes a lot of the stress away. Um yeah. That, so can you tell me about um, a little de- more detail about how you met your wife and how this came about? Because when I say it's extremely difficult being an entrepreneur and being in a, in a relationship, it truly is. And this is the number one thing entrepreneurs talk about. And every time we talk about it, it's like such a hype yeah. question. Um, so how did you know that she was the one and how did you, I guess, work on that relationship like tell me about that 
Sure. And I, I, to be clear, it's just definitely still a work in progress. It always on. is. Yeah. It's always um, a work in progress. So I met her at Koshy's Business Bootcamp. Okay. Um, so David Kosh from Sunrise. Oh, my gosh. Uh, okay. So I met her. She was in um, at this conference. Uh, she was chat- chatting to this um, a mate of mine and I saw this beautiful blonde, tall lady and um, went over hoping to get an introduction. Um, and, yeah, we, we've spoken every day since. Um, and so she had just come out of a long year relationship. And so it, she did say no a couple of times. How to going old were out. you both at the time? Uh, 25 and she was 23. Oh, okay. Yeah. Young. And so, um, but we became friends quickly and then that sort of turned into a relationship. Um, but I actually went back to my business partner that day and I said, I met the girl that I'm going to marry. Um, yeah, oh, legit. So, you, so you, you knew I knew straight away. Straight I don't know away. why, but I just did. It's so funny because a lot of men, a lot of men that are successful, say that, like they just know. Yeah, I, I don't know why. And so, um, but I, I think one of the best piece of advice was from a mentor of mine who was on his third marriage um, about sort of relationships. And sometimes when you, you know, when you're asking these people who are really successful that you look up to, sometimes you would just, you ask them the question, hey, what piece of advice would you give yourself at the age of 23? And you just say that. And so sometimes you get amazing piece of advice around um, the restaurant game or they like imply that it's about business or sometimes you just get these amazing gems gems about life. And so one particular mentor of mine who's third marriage, still friends with his past two wives, um, still do family events and things, and but his third wife is the one that he's been with now the longest. He said is like find somebody who you want to so work out what you want to do in life and then find somebody to join join you on that journey. So understand what your values are, work out what you want to do with life and then find somebody who shares those values because that is what connects you together and binds you in the when times are tough. Whereas I think a lot of people um start off and go, hey, they're awesome. I'd like to be with them. Then they work out what they want to do, whereas the other person might want to do something different. And it's actually that that drags them apart. Mm-hmm. It's not because they're negative people or anything like that. It's just because they've got the they want different things in life. And so yeah, I think that my wife and I, we both really cared about others doing good, you know, um, being successful, fighting for um those who might be um, underserved or neglected, um, but also being successful and having amazing time and exper- and have great experiences all around the world. So that's a really cool um, comment that the mentor made. Yeah. Find find what you want to do, and then find that person that wants to do the same. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Yeah, when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you went into the journey of um, becoming the CEO and and growing Zimbrero, you stood down as a CEO. Yeah. And then you went off and did other things. So tell me about that thought process. What made you change your mind? You know, well, not change your mind, but what made you step down as a CEO? Yeah. Um, and what was that kind of change period for you? Yeah. So um, Zambra at the time was in Thailand, in New Zealand. Um, we just sold Ireland. We've got about 100 restaurants um, and with another 200 to 300 already sold. Mm-hmm. Um, but just in different various forms of opening. And so we were about to go into the States. And so my wife and I were getting married and we were going to go and and raise capital and take it into the US. Um, but the founder, he wanted to actually focus on um, 
biotech companies and doing other things. And so we got to that point and we had a discussion and said, hey, like you want to keep control of the company and use that to fund some of your other investments or other work. That's great. I'd love to go and take over the world. We've been doing this. How about you buy me out of the next two years? And so he bought me out over the following two years. My wife and I, you know, got married, uh, ran around the world on a year-long honeymoon, um, and then um, have done a few different things. And we're actually co-CEOs in a business today called Flav, uh, which is a plant-based restaurant chain, um, which we might get into in a little bit. Yeah. So you you stood down, and then he bought you out. Yeah. And then is this when you kind of started the fund? Yeah, so so Twilio? yeah, so Twio, um, which Twio, sorry. yeah, no, that's right. Um, and uh, it's it's fifty fifty whether or not people call it Twio or Twio. So, um, but it stands for the world is your oyster. Um, okay, and it it was never actually meant to be a brand. Um, when you, it was after my first investment in a company, they said, "Oh, what's your your holding company?" And rather have something boring like Cook Investments or yeah. Um, and I'd saw a couple of my mates had funny names and so, or different names. And so I decided that I'd, I came up with the name, um, Twio Capital. Um, and then when, and made a few different investments over the years, but it was never meant to see the light of day. But mm-hmm. then when my wife and I were traveling around the world for a year, we were like, Hey, we're going to meet some amazing people. Let's get up a quick website about our investments and our profile. Um, let's get a, business card done just so that when we meet people around the world, we've got something to show it. And then, you know, yeah. we can build those connections for whatever next venture we'd get into. And so then fast forward a couple of years after that, um, I reunited with the old, uh, the former CFO of Zambrero. Uh, he and I started working together, um, consulting and advising early stage companies. And, you know, we enjoyed working together so much that we decided to sort of roll in all of our clients um, and investments and then really form Twire Capital, um, which does virtual CFO services and corporate advisory, okay. helping early stage companies raise capital and investing in them. And then that's now grown over the last sort of three years to a team of 20 and working with, you know, tens of clients around the country and even a couple overseas. Um, so yeah, it's really exciting. So is it a fund? No, well, it's, uh, it's been all of my own capital to date, but okay. you know, we have aspirations in the future of potentially being a fund, but yeah. Not not at any time in the near future. So it's your own capital and you just invest as as you go and as yeah. you vet. Yeah. That's super interesting. And you're hands-on in these startups as well. Yeah, oh, my team are. Like, well, I've definitely been in the past, but my primary role at the moment is to be, you know, co-CEO of Flav, um, the startup there. But because yeah. I'm <clears throat> been so active for so long in the startup community, um, I do get to meet a lot of amazing startups that Twyo might be able to help, but Ryan Barnes is the the managing partner of Twio. And we set that all up because we knew that we were going to have to focus really hard on mm-hmm. um, on Flav to make it everything that we want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and Twio is, you know, still growing under Ryan's amazing guidance and leadership. Amazing. And with the Flav, um, I guess that's super interesting. And I noticed when it was renovating on in Bondi. Yeah. Um, and I was looking, I was like, oh, this looks really cool. And then I spoke to Morello and he was like, oh, we're opening up. My, Lani, my good friend, did the shoot. Yeah. She's, <laughs> she's almost like a face, it's the face. so yeah. funny. Yeah. And I was like, Lani, what are you doing? Are you becoming a model? She's like, no, it's a shoot for Flav. And I'm like, what's Flav? She's like, it's a plant-based burger joint. I'm like, I need to go. Um, and then my girlfriend went 
I think that weekend you opened or the following weekend because she's vegan and she was like, oh my God, you need to come. The burgers are amazing. So I'm like, yes, I need to go try it. So I guess, you know, vegans mean such a hype in the market. Why did you choose a plant-based restaurant? Yeah. So when we were on our honeymoon, my wife uh, and I were in Costa Rica at the time and she got really sick and had to get airlifted to hospital, oh, spent no. seven days in intensive care with a bad bacterial infection. From? And from, um, we think it was a coconut, like, which is weird, but, you know, you never know in some of these, like, um, developing countries where you might pick up something. Mm-hmm. And so um, as a result of all the broad-spectrum antibiotics, she actually had to get um, go onto a plant-based diet for a month because okay. she couldn't process animal proteins. And then she went vegetarian for a month and then she could go back onto animal proteins. And so because we were continuing on our honeymoon, I begrudgingly agreed to go vegan with her for the month because I thought if she was cool enough to continue on her honeymoon after being airlifted to hospital, I could go vegan for a month. Um, and then I think that was the first time that I sort of started to understand about being a conscious consumer um, how food impacts the world from animal agriculture on the on the environment and impacting climate. And so, um, you know, we're, we were only 33, 34 at the time and we thought, okay, we're too young to, we've got too much energy to go and just sit on boards and, and run around, but let's focus on a business that can actually make a big positive change. Mm-hmm. And even though intellectually we... We knew that we felt better and it was better for the world to be plant-based. We still were going back into some of our old habits because there was more that you felt like you had to sacrifice on flavor, on food, on convenience or even price. And so we wanted to be able to create a brand where you could actually um, be able to not have to sacrifice on any of those things and be flavor forward because at the end of the day, a restaurant solves a problem and that problem is I'm hungry, feed me. And so if you can make it it more attractive to actually eat plant-based because people don't actually feel like they have to have a protein or a certain different um, like animal product. Like a lot of the times people don't like chicken. They actually like the sauce or some of the flavors of it. And so if you can replicate that. So we're building a plant-based chain and our goal is to build over a 1,000 over the next 10 years. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And so then that can then start to move the needle and create incremental change. And because if even if the world just had a plant-based day, you know, a couple of days a week, it would actually make a massive a impact in the world. Huge impact. Yeah. That's amazing. I didn't know that that was the story behind it. Now yeah. that I know it's that's Which incredible. It's just crazy. Like th- some things yeah. in the world, you know, uh, are just so serendipitous. And I think that, that her getting sick and us being on that journey as well has, like, led us to here. And we've met so many amazing people who are going to be helping us on in that journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I went vegan, um, I think, seven seven years ago now. I was in Miami. Very similar story. Um, I didn't get sick, but um, I was, wasn't really well. Like there was something going on internally. And I stumbled across this raw vegan diet, raw vegan, sorry, cafe. And the girl behind the counter, I'll never forget it. She was a chef, this little Spanish lady. And um, I was like, oh, that looks really good. Can I please order the the cheese? And she was like, oh, the cheese is, is vegan. Is that okay? And I was like, what is vegan? Yeah. I had no idea. And she's like, well, it's made out of coconut oil. And like, anyway, I had this like sandwich 
Um, and I didn't feel anything after. I felt like I ate like a salad. Yeah. And I felt so good all day. And then I went back and had it again. And I felt this, I was like, this is like a superfood or something. What's in this? And then I was talking to her about what's vegan. She told me to uh, look at this video. It was called um, the 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 best video you will ever watch or something like that by Gary. Oh, I can't remember his name. Gary Yukov. Y- you ref- oh, I think I, I know oh, who's doing that, but he's I don't. Like, yeah. And he got arrested for some things or something like that. He's pretty crazy, crazy vegan activist. Anyway, so I went vegan and um, I started to feel about a year ago that I'm missing out on food. So I started to put fish into my diet and I feel much better now. I'm starting to incorporate some eggs, but I'm also not feeling 100%. So I'm trying to go back to vegan, but it's extremely difficult because there's not much variety. Yeah. There's not much variety and it's so expensive. I I think it's it's definitely changing a lot. Like if you go back five years ago, it's it's jog and cheese are where it is today. So there are so many plant-based restaurants popping up there is a lot of products going in there like there's some amazing innovation being done and not only the alternative plant-based protein space um but also just i think chefs becoming a little bit more aware because the you know uh, and i think as a, just as a big health trend as well forget about the environment which is needs to be yeah. thought about and f- forget about the animal activism for a second but the other piece is just from the health piece is a huge driver because a lot of people are now sort of there is a lot of research coming out about reducing meat in, intake, especially from a red meat or yeah, you know, like what the health and cowspiracy and all these yeah. kind of things. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I, there's so much information out there, but again, it's really hard to educate you know the masses on it. I, I don't yeah, think and meat that's will why ever we, go that's away. Why, like if you come to Flav, you would not know it's vegan. So do you use soy-based um, uh, meat? Is it is it mock meat? Yeah, so we use some like that. We use sometimes a shiitake mushroom stem and jackfruit okay. with a sauce to be able to mimic brisket. But like yeah. you know, we even had Texan in the other day. And I can't claim any of the ingredient or any of the menu, by the way. We have the most amazing executive chef who was the former chef of Sir Paul McCartney and Madonna and Beyonce. Oh, wow. So he actually travelled around the world with rock stars as their personal chef. Yeah. And so he's our... Um, executive chef, so Amazing. he's the one who actually mimics the flavors and and textures of of um, of meat and turns yeah. them into plant based alternatives. I need to go buy and try it. You do. So so you you're ninety percent vegan. Yeah. And then maybe a steak here and there. Yeah, I mean, I, like <laughs> I, I I have to say is that like I I feel so much better, but I think I'm still I still. I still bow to some of the social pressures at time, um, but we also think that you know food is to be enjoyed. But we also like sometimes there aren't amazing options, and sometimes like if you go to somebody's place and you haven't let them know, then I'm not going to also waste food either. So it is a bit of that mix. But at home, everything's 100% plant based. Oh right, yeah. so yeah, same as me. So at home, everything's plant based. Um, I don't even. I, don't, I think I cook fish a couple times at home, but I only eat fish and egg out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's like a habit. It's like if you have like lollies and chips in the cupboard, you're going to eat it, <laughs> yeah. right? It is, it's exactly that. <laughs> so it's like I'm just well, going to do And, and also is if there was amazing restaurants like Flav everywhere, like Flav isn't 
within the delivery circle yeah. with me. And so I do have to continually experiment with different places. And some people do a really horrible job with plant-based. And so if that's people's only experience of plant-based, of course they're going to say it's shit. Yeah, of you course. Know? So yeah. like we we want all the plant-based restaurants and even all restaurants to be able to get better at cooking with the plant-based alternatives because the way that the world's growing is that, and if we keep our current protein intake, like we will run out of land. Oh, 1,000%. So, yeah. Even the farmers are talking about it. Yeah. On Ca- in Cowspiracy, they opened up, I was watching interviews about it. Yeah. They were, they were like, it's not sustainable. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of food that we feed yeah. the cow, we could be feeding thousands of people. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So, yeah, I agree. It's not sustainable. It's, it's really good um, what you guys are doing. It's amazing. Um, so with you, you're 23 and then you did all these like crazy things. You've had such an amazing journey and now you're kind of really like purpose-driven on trying to change, you know, or create an impact in the world, like a thousand Slave stores. That's insane. Um, that's a really big goal, by the way. How long do you think it will take you? 10 years. 10 years, you think? Well, I did 100 in six and a half years when I was 23 with no experience. And so True. I sort of look at it and go, well, even if we, you know, if we set ourselves a thousand and if you look at, I mean, in Australia, then that's not Australia though. Around, you know, I was like, going to say globally. It has to be around the world. Like there only might be 40 or 50 in Australia. Okay. But and then the rest of You go to the US and you can go to the like Midwest and you can find like a thousand to three thousand store chain of chicken shops that you've never heard of. <laughs> you know, like it's it's crazy the scale you get overseas. Like that's there's a true. coffee brand in China that called Luck and Coffee that opened up 1,800 locations in two years. Yeah. So- Amazing. Yeah. So with the, um, I guess, the, the journey, I want to go back from from your age because it's so interesting at 23. I remember when I was 23, I wasn't even thinking about being or like running or being even a CEO. Like that's insane. And now you're 30. 36. 36. Um, and you've come a really long way with all the learnings. So what advice, I guess, would you give a young entrepreneur or even just an entrepreneur who's considering investing into startups or being involved on boards. Okay, there's a lot in that. Um, you can you can maybe start from investing and then yeah, work so, from yeah. advisor advisor on boards. So in, this is I, actually a good question for me too because I'm kind of in this exact thing right now. So investing, I think it's what are the thematics that you want to focus on is really important because how do you know like you could it's really easy to waste a lot of money and so when i when i got my first capital out of sambora and i'm actually quite fortunate that i was paid sort of every 6 months over a 2 year period because i i almost deployed all of the first tranche of capital immediately you like you feel like you had to spend it, yeah. And then you sometimes get people, you feel like that, yeah. And you get more and <laughs> more like, people asking you for investments, and so and if you didn't actually have like criteria of what you want to invest in, um, then it was then it was um, as easy. It's hard to say no. Yes. Whereas now that I know, and it's a quick no for me for most things because unless it's environmental technology, sustainable food systems, or it's health and wellness, I say no straight away. Okay. And so having a bit of that because, and then then you can become a bit of a subject domain um, expert. So you can then go, hey, I know there's a competitor out there that is actually going to um, beat you 
Like you get to know everybody in the space. And so you might miss out on some of those opportunities and the shiny things that come up. Yeah. But I think if you, and you don't have to stick to just one industry, but you can stick to a few or a, a few thematics. Yes. But by doing that, you get to know who are the best players in the space. You can also get to know who are the other CEOs who go, hey, you can just have a build a relationship with and say, hey, this is really cool concept. One, would you use it as a potential customer? Mm-hmm. Or two, like, can I get you to have a look at it and tell me if you think it's good or not? Mm. And so if you've got that and you get great deal flow and you get to be known as the people who are doing that, you can then sort of start to be an expert in the place. And then that that's where you can actually then start to follow on to board roles because you're seen as value adding, not just angel investing. Mm. So angel investing sometimes can just be, hey, here's a check. Yeah. Good luck. Give me a quarterly update or Correct. hope it goes well. But if you can start to show these startups by adding value, whether or not through networks of other angel investors, or you can add introductions to great talent or um, give them, help them big customers, then you can not only sometimes get, get your um, investment to grow, but also maybe get advisory shares or get board roles. So I think that's a good strategy. Somebody starting out um, in investing or like looking into getting into investing, what is like the typical check size you would, you know, invest into startups? Oh, I mean, that's really broad. If you start, if you're starting up. Let's just say you're starting to invest, like what would be the typical check size? Let's say pre-seed or seed. So a lot of pre-seed or seed companies won't let you take anything less than 25 grand. Um, but it might be a way to start, um, or otherwise it's a lot of checks to pick up, mm. you know? So, I mean, typically you'll have a number of, you might have some, if you can hang around WeWorks or incubators and things, then you might be able to get in super early where a five, 10 grand or 20 grand check might, um, be yeah. able to sort of make it like a difference for that's them to true. be able to do yeah, it. I didn't think of like that. Um, but then that's a way for you to be able to do it. Or there's also these equity crowd plat, plat, there's these crowdfunding yeah, platforms yeah. now that are like they're good, but just also be careful because my my limited experience with it is being that sometimes some deals can actually be um, valued higher mm-hmm. um, on those platforms than what they would be in the other in, in just generally on the capital raising circuit. Not always, yeah. not always, but there's definitely some that I've seen on there. So you just want to be mindful, but also, you know, just seeing if you can get in and help for free sometimes with these early stage companies, like be there in the room and sort of get to learn what are the questions or even find another angel investor and go to them with them, go to them with some of their pitch meetings to learn what are the, some of those questions that they that ask. That you would need to ask, yeah. Because yeah. I don't think any... I don't think many investors would ever say no to having somebody asking questions of the company that they're going to invest in. So yeah. If you were sitting with me and we're having an entrepreneur pitch us, like I'm happy for you to be in the room because you might come from a different angle, from a different background, from a different perspective yeah, to be able absolutely. to ask a question that I hadn't thought of. Mm. Yeah? And that's yeah, where, that's a good way to start. So yeah. I think that's a really interesting way to start. Mm. And then sometimes they might let you get in on a deal where you may not have enough money to be able to meet the minimum check size, but you can pull it all together to be able to do it. And what about like the board positions? I'm sure that you get asked a ton to to jump on their board, to be an advisor, a mentor. How do you, obviously you vet it from your um, three things that you focus on, but how do you vet it from a point of view of what do you actually ask for? Is it equity? Is it hybrid, like cash equity? How does it work for you? 
it completely depends on the company and what they can afford. But I have done deals in the past where I get paid just a retainer um, per month to be on the board, either be chairman or yeah. um, be a board member. Um, but, you know, for me at the moment, like, uh, and I'm not taking on any more board roles because mm-hmm. I've got an, enough and I've got you a big a focus. Yeah. yeah. But, um, like, I, probably going forward, I would never – take a board that I wasn't given upside in. Yes. Because you're, you know, at a certain point, money doesn't become the primary driver. It's like, how do you, and what do you think the opportunity could grow? Yeah. Unless it's a board role that's making a positive difference, um, like a charity, for example. Like I'm the Got chairman it. of um, For Purpose Co, which is Oz Harvest for profit arm that is a, being built to be able to fund Oz Harvest. And so that's obviously a free board role, um, not paid. Um, but yeah, I'd, for me, standing strong, it would be on uh, only getting equity. But again, if you're starting out, it's like what's the value that you bring? And you might start off with getting a very small fee just to get the experience. Mm. And then you can build up the resume to go, hey, Correct. cool, That's I've done I this. Did originally, or, yeah. or, or even say, hey, if I do these three things, yeah. I'm worth this much. Correct, yeah. Do you agree? You have to And then as long yourself. as you prove yourself, yeah. then it's okay. Yeah, I agree. That's what I did to BizPay, um, which was my first um, board position. But how do you juggle all these, like, position, the board positions and then and then running, you know, Flav and then, you know, you're also doing stuff, stuff with Entourage. Like, how do you juggle everything? Like, how do you find time? Well, I mean, a- again, is like – I don't run Entourage and I'm not on the board anymore. I've stepped down okay. in the last year for that. Um, you know, the, I was on that board for 10 years. Uh, wow. We're, we're still the, I'm, you know, twice still the second largest investor behind Jack DeLosa. Yeah, Jack, um, yeah. But that's done, you know, Jack and Tim and the team have done such an amazing role. That's a great business that, you know, is going amazing places and, you know, we get dividends and. Amazing. So like it's, and, and it's also like, I'm not in, I'm not in the education space as well. Like, so it, there's, I think also as well as once you get to a certain point is that you want to find the right people who can make the most impact on those companies. Like I'd prefer if I'm never on a board again, that'd be amazing because it means that you're finding people who are better than you to make you wealthy through your investments. Mm. So that's a good way to see like, it. Yeah. yeah. So if you can do that, then you can free up your time more to actually go and do other big, like big deals. I mean, mm. and Flav's a huge deal for me. Like, yeah. So no, that Flav's actually, t- actually yeah. took a, a lot of my plate when I knew that I was going to do Flav. Um, and then, but if you look at, um, Twire Capital, like I found an amazing partner being Ryan Barnes, who I trust, you know, completely, you know, he he manages it and builds an amazing culture with the team and, you know, our clients and our, our investee companies love him and, you know, we've structured a deal where, you know, we're partners, mm. um, but he runs the day-to-day. And so that's freed me up to be able to do So five. you delegate a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, to find amazing partners. Like I definitely yeah. delegate because I also know my strengths of, you know, raising capital, building business, but then there'll be certain times within a business stage where I'll go, hey, like I was a really good growth time CEO, but mm-hmm. then it might be get to a stage where you go, hey, am I the right CEO? And then, put, you know, step aside and let somebody else be a CEO later on. That may not be the case. It may be CEO for Flay forever, but yeah. Like my wife and I are actually very opposite. She's more of a deeper strategic thinker. I'm like a wartime startup CEO where it doesn't things don't have to be perfect mm. and you sort of get going. And so I actually think that she's probably going to be the, you know, I'm a little bit more in the forefront at the beginning of 
of Flav because of my restaurant experience. But then I think that, you know, she's probably got the the cadence the and sort of like the the temperament as well. When it's more becomes little nuances and tweaks and, and things, it's like actually she might be the better CEO than me. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Cause there's always a new, there's a, there's a startup CEO and then there's like yeah. long-term CEO. You yeah. always have to bring somebody in to scale it out, yeah. you know, eventually. Um, a couple more questions before we, the end of the podcast. So there was a couple things about advice, um, but I'd, I'd really love to know what are some of the business secrets and skills that you've learned along the way? And what is something you just swear by? You're just like, this is just what I swear by. I definitely swear by telling the truth and also not being afraid to say, I don't know. Mm. I think that's the biggest one um, is that by saying, I don't know, it means that there's no ego there. And it means that you can then be vulnerable with the people who want to help you along the way. And so I think you then become really good at um, asking people for advice. I mean, you still have to be the one who makes the decision in the end. Mm -hmm. um, but then flowing on from that is when you say, I don't know, but I guarantee I can find you somebody who will help me find will know. work at the answer. And then also triangulation is another big thing that I swear by is so, you know, if I ask you about what's it be like being running podcasts, like, you know, you're going to give me your perspective based off um, all your experiences. You may have a good experiences and had never had an issue in your life. You go, they're the best thing ever. Or I go and speak to somebody else who has had a really shit experience. And they go, never do podcasts ever, or never be, never yeah. be business partners with anyone ever, or never do business with family ever, ever. Yeah. And so, like, if you only just listen to that person, then you're it can potentially like really narrow your field of focus or vision based off their experiences, which could be outliers. So mm. if you ask at least sort of three people, you can start to get a bit of a trend mm. of what what's going on. And then, then also is that asking them the second question, because if I asked you, hey, do you have a bookkeeper you'd recommend? You might go, sure, go speak to Carol. And then, but I have to then ask you is like, how many bookkeepers have you had? And if you've only had Carol, you have no idea about if Carol's good or not. But if you said to me, I've spoke, I've had about 20 bookkeepers, and I go, hey, this is really good for this reason. This is really bad for this reason. Yeah. And so asking that sort of frame of reference where that person is coming from when they're answering a question is super important. Like if only, someone's only ever been on a board once, they've, you know, you're only going to take their sort of board experience as a little bit of a grain of salt. But if someone's been on 20 boards, you're going to sort of, they're going to have a lot more. You should give them a lot more. Um, focus and credibility. Yeah. Talking about good advice, what's the best advice you could give a young entrepreneur or really any entrepreneur? Start before you're ready, 100%. Um, and it doesn't have to be perfect. Like innovate quickly and test and test and test. Like try something. You know, try something if it fails. Like the consumer has uh, is fickle, but they have a short term memory. And if you go back out and try something again, like and, and you then you can go until you get product market fit. And so, like, I think, you know, it used to be that you had to go and do, this is why I love Kickstarter, for example. Like yeah. Kickstarter, you can come up with an idea for a product, video something. It costs you maybe a grand to video yourself on your phone and go, hey, I've got this great idea. People raised like hundreds of thousands of dollars of pre-orders and they've actually created a business before they've even made a single product. And so, I think that because of technology and the way it works, it's like it's so easy to be able to be experimenting with things. Like, you know, we had a little kid... Oh, sorry, not so little, but like a 16-year-old kid who 
is decided to not take up a role with us because he's making 10 grand a month, like flipping shoes online from like a shoe exchange. Wow. And so, you know, he, you could see he's, he wants to actually go create a shoe business now. Yeah. So I think that there's never been a better time in the world to go and start a business in like 99% of the sectors. And just like to extend that, um, how I see the world going is I believe that 65 to 80% of the world um, will be freelance or contract. And then I believe there's only going to be a minimum amount of full-time staff because I'm I'm just seeing such a huge shift in in talent and what in what you just said. It's so easy to create a TikTok account. It's yeah. so easy to create an IG and become an influencer and make twenty thousand dollars a month. These kids are, ma- you know, some are making millions on TikTok. So where do you see that going in the future? Um, TikTok is mental. Like I download mental. it like once a month and then have to turn it off and delete it from my phone because I like get addicted from that dopamine hit just every crazy? 10 seconds. So um, <laughs> I, I think that we do focus on the people who are successful rather than those who are trying really hard. Yes. And so I think that there is a bit of danger to that. I think that we, I do agree with you that there is going to be more, um, fre- like more flexible workplace. I think um, and more freelancing inside of things. I think COVID sped that up. I think it was probably like five to 10 years away and it's really quickly. Mm-hmm. And so employers now need to work out how they can provide stability and, um, an incentive enough to be part of a team and to, you know, and to almost have that purpose. And so I think that. I think that it's more so from an employer standpoint that they need to focus on having a bit of purpose and and what are they actually standing for and not just – and it can't be making money anymore. Like it, there yeah. needs to be – a lot of the other businesses will be, hey, what impact are you making on the world? The next generation coming through are demanding that. Yeah. Um, and so – I think that that will that will be some of the driver because I still do think people want community um, and although they might be freelancers or have struck like flexible working relationships, lots of them still will need to be employed because of the way that they that our banking systems work and the way that people get credit mm-hmm. um, and you know get mortgages and things because that is hard as independent contractors and things. But I think more around flexibility of the workforce is is becoming more and more like majorly important it's not about money anymore people happy to take 50 percent of their paycheck just to work from home or work in mexico yeah or you know move to bali and and get a condo that's and it's amazing and also yeah um, it's scary for some employers like super scary and and so i'd say like you know for us in the restaurant business as well is is that people uh want to have the best tasting food they've ever had and they want to have an amazing experience but then at the same time people like may not want that as their career. So how do you actually sort of position the workforce um, within restaurants or the hospitality sector so they can feel like they're part of something big? They still can have that flexibility. And so that's going to be, I don't know where that road leads just yet, mm-hmm. um, but that's going to be like interesting to watch over the next five to 10 years. Super well. interesting. Thank you so much for coming on the show. No, thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to Startups and Unicorns with Belinda Agnew. If you haven't already, be sure to follow the show. 
X Enabler is your one-stop tech innovation partner, creating unmatched digital solutions and turning tech visions into a reality. For more information, visit xenabler.digital. Get in touch with Belinda by following at Belinda Agnew Official.